oh, that bleed like the rest of us quote. I remember seeing that and then looking at Achilles' other arm and seeing the giant scar running down it. Hmm. <laughs> I thought I heard them wrong, and so then I rewatched the scene. I was like, did he say they don't bleed? And then I had, to, I was <laughs> like, it looks like he's bleeding like a regular person. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about movies, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Elijah Fleming. And I'm Colin McCormick. And we are so excited today to have three brand new guests uh, from Adam Rabinowitz's class. Uh, we are joined today by Mitchell, Lucille, and Jordan. We're so excited to have you guys here. Thank you. We're very excited well, to be you. here. Hi. Yay. So yeah, the very first thing, I guess uh, we're talking about episodes four, five, and six of Troy Fall of the City. Um, So very first thing, jumping into it, did you dig this show? (laughs) (laughs) I really did dig this show. Like I thought we watched clips in class. And so we got the gist of the plot, but just kind of how it related to Iliad. But when I was watching it by myself, um, like yesterday and today, it was so good, and I I was so invested in all the the characters and stuff. They did a really good job. I dig this this rendition of the Iliad. I unfortunately did not dig this show. Um. So this, is, this is perfect because every time on the show we all like have the same opinion. So this is like I'm like finally. Like. <laughs> well, I just feel like they got really weird in the middle of the segment that I watched. Like I just it didn't like stick with the story and I feel like they added like a ton of stuff and I I feel like it happened historically and that's great and all like I'm glad they added it but I don't know it just felt really cluttered and there was like a lot going on and it was hard to follow at times Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did not dig it either I could not get past the gross amounts of smoldering intensity in everyone's dialogue (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a lot of smolder there's a lot of intense staring one might even say navel gazing uh, in this show, everyone is spoken with such few words that there's just <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is we, we talked about a little bit about this with Adam because if you read like the Iliad or something like that, you can't get them to shut up. Like even like That's Patrick true. has yeah, <laughs> Patroclus's dying breath is like twelve lines long, all in you know spoken in verse naturally. Naturally. But yeah, uh, I mean, Eli and I, we've, we've already gone on, on record sort of with our thoughts of the show, but I, I, I'm just going to, I'll reiterate a little bit and kind of say I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle where I, there's parts about the show I do kind of like and I think are interesting. And particularly having, after having sort of talked about it with, with Adam, I think there's, I think there's some, some underlying ideas that are really interesting in the show, but it has some problems with execution. And then ultimately it kind of is sort of like aggressively mediocre, I think, in a way that that I think is almost worse than me. Because like, if something's bad, you kind of remember it for being bad, when you might even enjoy it, but it's not bad. I don't I don't think it's a it's a horrible show or, or really bad, by, but it's kind of like I saw it, this is the second time I've seen it. And I, I it's like I'm seeing it for the first time again, because mm-hmm. I, I truly don't, I didn't remember it. How about you, Eli? Yeah, no, I'm realizing on this is my second time watching it as well how much like didn't stick with me the first time i was like i totally forgot that they killed a horse mm-hmm. for like uh andromache's dad's funeral or something i was mm-hmm. like 
when what they i had totally forgotten that that entire like thing happened adam was talking about that when we were talking and i was like i don't when, when, like what is and because we hadn't seen it know, yet. Was he was like, getting ahead of us and then that's when he was mentioning the sparking <laughs> knife and then uh, i don't know if he made a point to you guys about bronze not sparking or something like that so yeah i think i think i do agree that i i fall somewhere in the middle um but i I do really want it to be better. So I feel maybe just like more than anything, a little bit disappointed. There are so many things that I really enjoy that I just wish the rest of it kind of lifted up. Uh, mm. And that it and was part of it is also like, we kind of had skin in the game. Like we get really excited anytime there's something, cause we're like literally professionally invested in it in a way that, <laughs> that you guys, you know, aren't. Um, cause, but like anytime there's any sort of thing that's honest, something that we study, we get, we get our hopes up maybe a little bit too high, but then we have to kind of wind it back. But um, let me just actually just start with, with your, your, all of your experience. Cause you're in this sort of um, like first year, uh, undergraduate sort of seminar talking about Troy now having sort of learned about, Troy, I just wanted to ask you all like what your what your sort of thoughts experiences was like having taken the class or read parts of the Iliad or uh, all the other stuff you've read. How is that sort of how do you think that's like affected the way you saw or like viewed this show? And in my follow up is, is it better? Are you better or worse off? Like, are you like, I kind of wish I didn't know about the Trojan <laughs> War before I watched this show. See, okay, that's kind of, I had, that's why I had an issue with it. And maybe I was just watching it at a bad time because I was so confused the whole time because I knew what was supposed to happen and nothing was happening when it was supposed to happen. And I'm just like, okay, I guess we're going, you know, on some weird like self-discovery journey now that I don't remember <laughs> happening ever. So, yeah. <laughs> so the biggest takeaway I had from this class was uh, viewing the Iliad through the generations and through the cultures it's passed through and how it keeps getting tweaked to reflect the ideas of the cultures throughout the time. And so, okay, this show is, let's go my generation. Let's see how we're impressing ourselves on the telling of the Trojan War. So it was cool to watch through the show to see what the screenwriters would put in there to reflect our generation. Like, okay, yeah. bring the Amazons, making them I think they were already in there before, but now giving them casting people as the Amazons is for what we would think they would look like uh, was really cool. One thing I didn't like, though, was all the backstabbing political, not quite political. There was a lot more covert warfare than I remember mm. in, in or reading in the Iliad, specifically the scene where Hector and 10 people go ride behind the Greeks and then burn their stores down behind them. Right before that, there was like a Greek person that I don't remember the Trojan that he killed. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know this because I've done extensive research, but it's Xanthius is the spy and Pandarus is the and I think Pandarus, he comes from from I don't remember him being in the Iliad, but he comes from later traditions. He's like a character in like Chaucer and things like that. Troilus and Cressida. Yeah. Ex yes. Yeah. See, you guys, you guys know more than that we do at this yeah. point. It's been a minute. I, <laughs> I had to dig up my, I have, I have a copy of, of the Iliad sort of floating around on the desk. I was like, I gotta remember because it's like, it's been a minute for me. I know. I had uh, to look, I, I've like opened mine a few times. It's like, is this, yeah. when did this happen? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, cause to, to Mitchell's point, another part I wanted to ask you guys, cause you as a class, you also just watched the 2004 movie. Mm -hmm. I think that raised like, you know, I thought I dig this series, and I think that having watched the Troy movie just like three days prior 
really by comparison elevated the series. <laughs> it was kind of terrible. But yeah, it was it was interesting interesting choices that just did not make sense. Yeah. Did, what, what like jumped out to you the if you're like you're like what, what what's going on there? Cuz I think I have mine, but I want to hear yours. Well, like at least okay, there's like a lot of there's a lot of things that are not great with that movie, but first of all, they don't develop um, Achilles and Patroclus's relationship enough for it to justify like the grief. I don't like it doesn't make sense. And also Hector is okay, yeah, Hector is way too good. There's no there's no it loses all the complexity of the Iliad and saying who's right, who's wrong. It's it's there it's just it's just Hector's amazing and everyone else kind of sucks more and more as it goes on. Like This is an amazing take. I was saying, Lucille, yeah, you're, you're, you're challenging our own preconceptions because Eli and I, like... I this, no, love Eric Bana as Hector. He's, like, totally my favorite part but, of... But, like, stick to your guns and, and tell he, us we're wrong. He's great. He's fatherly. And, like, I, I like it. It's kind of in keeping with the Iliad. But there's no, there's no like, complete fit of animalistic rage over Patroclus' body that justifies, you know, like... There's no savagery that justifies the lion quote, like the mm. there's no deals among between men and lions or something. Yep. Like there's no there's no backup for it because the whole time he's just fatherly and he's smart and he's coming up with logical ideas and he's mm. he's like, No, we should be kind, we should, you know, try to avoid war and like then he just gets murdered and the only thing he did was and he felt remorse for it was kill someone that he thought was younger. And it wasn't in a disrespectful way, and it wasn't intentional. He thought he was killing a hero, and he wasn't aggressive about it. He is. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> That's so interesting that the that he's too good. I like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that um yeah, Lucille, that rocked. Uh, but I was gonna say, but that leads me to sort of my um one of like the sort of notes. Maybe this is like I think maybe a generational thing, but I want to kind of dig into this of like. I was like one of my sort of hangups with with this show was it sort of seemed like who if anyone are we supposed to sort of is there are any of these characters are we supposed to like them or be endeared with any of them or is it are they all supposed to be kind of equally compromised in some way and I think but then again I think there are a character doesn't necessarily have to be good to be compelling like I think I saw a really good uh, like a critic sort of explaining how like they they juxtapose like Jamie Lannister versus um dolly the kid who shakes fish in finding nemo oh. and i'm this is this is gonna seem random but i'm going with i'm going somewhere with this where like if you were to ask most people they like jamie lannister better even though jamie lannister is like by all accounts a sort of bad person in game of thrones like he's he's killed you know he pushes a kid out of a window crippling him for life he's killed a lot of people he's he's got a lot of crimes but he's a much more interesting character whereas like dolly's only or is it darla i think darla it's darla name. yeah darla <laughs> My bad. Uh, Darla, her only real sort of like crime in life is shaking fish too hard. But like one of those characters to our minds is just like monstrous. And it's not Jamie Lannister. But the point I'm sort of getting with this is that there aren't really any sort of by and large good characters in in this show. But which characters do you find most compelling? And then if so, why? Or do you find any of the characters compelling? In the show? Yeah, yeah. Or, or either in the show or the movie, vice versa. Because, yeah, the movie very much sort of makes Eric Bonas Hector out to be sort of unproblematically good or something like that. He's just, he's sort of good through and through. 
That's an interesting question. I don't know if you're going to like my answer. But we love I all think... your answers. We, if it's an original <laughs> thought, we love it. Okay. Well, the reason I think the reason I because I liked the Troy movie a whole lot, mm-hmm. but I think one of the reasons I really liked it is because I was able to become attached to the characters. Like I didn't want Hector to die. I didn't want Patroclus to die. I didn't want Achilles to die. Like I didn't want anyone to die. And then in the TV show, I knew it was coming, and I'm just like, mm, they're dying, you know, like. Eh. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I didn't really get attached to anybody in the TV show because I, I don't. They just didn't have any personality. Because they didn't talk a whole lot, like we mentioned earlier, you know? Yeah, no, true, yeah. No, I think I'm kind of with you there, because I have a very, like, deep-seated, nostalgic love for the old movie, Troy. Um, And I think that maybe is a part of why, is that I think the characters, oddly enough, in, like, a movie are a little bit more fleshed out than in a miniseries, which is kind of saying something, I guess. Because Eli and I have gone on record many times over the course of this podcast and being like, this story would probably be better be better served in miniseries format where we had more time to get to know characters or something like that. But then here we are eating our words. Right? <laughs> it's like, this is what I wanted. Why isn't it good? <laughs> you guys just need to produce your own. This is the direction we're moving because the last couple of episodes have just been like us repitching ideas of, of movies. I know. Um, we, we rewrote The Eagle last week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mitchell? Do you have any? Yeah, what are your thoughts on the on the characters? Uh, I did find it difficult to follow along with the mini series characters, with the exception of Paris. I was kind of I could follow along with him just because of the gross amount of screen time he got. But mm-hmm. even Odysseus was hard to follow along with because they he's supposed to be wise and crafty, but every dialogue he has, it's like a sentence long and nothing comes of it. So but it's tactful. Threw my hands up there. Well, with Hector yeah. in the movie, where Lucille, you point out you didn't like him because he was so perfect, and then he made a mistake and got butchered. I love seeing that because it reminds me of one of my favorite Star Trek Next Generation episodes. I like where this Picard is going. Says, <laughs> you can do everything right and still lose. That's just being human, and that was personified by Hector, who his character, this fictional character, did everything right in his life. He was like the perfect role model. But then he makes the mistake of killing the wrong person and it's over. He loses. Mm-hmm. Right. You killed yeah. the cousin of But is that what you're to get from the Iliad? Well, that- I'm going to I'm going to in in favor of, of Lucille's point actually. So in the Iliad his I would say this is my Colin interpretation. So if if other home if Homer's out there hear this your beef is with me. Um but <laughs> That but one of the things so the Hector has like he's not as totally like I think they 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 push the 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 scale one side in the movie where Hector is very he's sort of almost more perfect than than perfect but in the elite he he has a couple of moments where he's kind of mean he snaps at people but there's the idea I think with Hector is that there's like he's sort of the all of the weight of the city and that responsibility is sort of put on his shoulders. And then he's kind of constantly weighing everything. A lot of the times in the Iliad, he has these conversations to himself where he's like, oh, I got to do this because what if the men and women of Troy, like what if they were to say, oh, Hector did or didn't do this? And they would sort of think less of me or they they would sort of mock me or they would hold they would hold this against me if I wasn't out there fighting. Um, and it's part of the reason he makes the decision to kind of there's a key point in the Iliad where the Trojans are winning and then they're pushing the Greeks back, pushing the Greeks back. And Hector's companion basically says, we, we, we should hold off before because if we go too far, like Achilles might get in the fight or something like that. Or like, we're, we, we should quit, while, we should stop while we're ahead. 
And Hector says, no, we should, you know, because I've got all this pressure upon me, I got to keep pushing. Um, and then that ultimately is what brings Patroclus into the fight, which then ultimately brings Achilles into the fight, which then ultimately leads to Hector's, his own death. And so like there, there, the Hector is sort of Hector's decisions, but his decisions are sort of driven by this, this, this sort of, this sort of social um, responsibility he feels he has because he's the sort of Prince of Troy because he's sort of the, the appointed defender of the city. Uh, and then that leads into even when he when he's about to duel Achilles, my personal favorite it was one of the first grad school papers I ever I wrote in graduate school was about the sort of emotions Hector has when he's about to fight Achilles. And he has this whole long deliberation uh, and he's sort of waiting before the gates. And then his parents come up to him and each of them gives in his mother and father each give a speech. And then Andromache comes up and she gives a speech to him about, you know, saying like, don't fight. And they each appeal to sort of a different, like, um, like his mother is like, you know, you're my baby. I can't see you die. But then Hector, basically, he even thinks of it. He's like, oh, I could maybe try to sue for peace. Or maybe if I gave back Helen, we could, we could end this. And then he says, no, I got to fight. Even though I know Achilles is probably going to kill me. Um, and that longer deliberation, which leads me to, I think, one of my big, particularly, I'm particularly thinking of episode six, but I think it kind of applies to this chunk of episodes, this sort of idiotic swath, swath of the show, which is the pacing. Because it sort of seems like a lot really happens, mm-hmm. particularly in episode six, where we get the death of Patroclus and then almost immediately after we get the death of Hector. Whereas, you know, in there's something like uh, six books of, of Iliad, basically, between those events of stuff happening, like fighting over Patroclus's body, Achilles grieving over Patroclus, um, Achilles sort of going on his big rampage, that animalistic sort of rage that, that Lucille was talking about. And then so it, it sort of, it, it, for me, the show kind of, ha- that those two things, which are kind of two of the big hallmarks of this whole cycle. And I'm biased because I'm thinking mostly of the Iliad, even though the Trojan War isn't just the Iliad. But those are sort of two huge touch points, and they both happen sort of within the span of 30 minutes in the show. I went on a huge long rant, so I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> that scene was, of all the renditions I've seen of it, and like I've read a few books, I feel like this whole semester's been dominated by reading versions of the Iliad and whatnot. But um, Come to grad school. It could be your life. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, his death was the worst one I've seen. Like Patroclus's death, it's like first of all he, the the hush thing was cool because they like built up to it so it just so Achilles knew what was happening. But Achilles shouldn't have been there yet. It didn't make sense, and he should have the way he's characterized and everything else. He should be like go into a violent fit of rage as soon as he sees Hector who killed Patroclus. In this one, they do it in favor of him seeing Patroclus is dead and like just caring about him and not anyone else. And then he goes back later to kill Hector, but that. That's the most illogical way I've seen it done. I think it makes the most sense when he finds Patroclus, does his grieving, is really angry, really sad, doesn't eat, and then goes and like, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't, it doesn't, it was not good in my opinion. I was a little disappointed that we didn't have a ton of fight scenes because like we would get pages and pages and pages in the Iliad of this guy stabbing this guy and this guy like (laughs) gutting the other guy. And like the, three episodes that we're talking about, hardly any of the massive fighting that happened in the Iliad actually happened. So that's a weird point to bring up, but I was kind of disappointed in that. Jordan, Jordan on the record being, I want more blood. Um. <laughs> I completely agree though. No, because I was thinking, oh yeah, these are the episodes where like kind of the meat of the story happens and to sort of get through them and be like, but nothing like 
Nothing oh, happened. Well, nothing really happened. Yeah. We got 15 <laughs> minutes of Paris going to see his ex. God. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, they kind of covered up the lack of warfare with plenty of espionage. That helped mm-hmm. kind of put a little spy thriller in there for you. Yeah. See, I don't like the spy thriller. I don't know how Me you guys either. feel about the, the little oh, spy. Yeah. yeah, it it doesn't feel like it, it works terribly well. And maybe it's sort of a function of the Game of Thronesification of this miniseries, which I, I feel like is sort of trying to be that sort of political intrigue kind of thing. Yeah. And and, and to, to that point, even, even Game of Thrones, up until the last couple of seasons, was pretty light on like at least large scale fights presumably because they're expensive and like this show had a huge budget budget excuse me had a huge butt is what i just said but um this this show had a huge budget but and like so they got to be sort of judicial but then like i think of like a show like vikings which has like a smaller budget and it's it has much sort of smaller scale content but like i think eli's right it's sort of it's a it's the result of both trying to to have that kind of political intrigue element that we've gotten where we're sort of we expect in this tv landscape and then two to sort of you know have cheaper set pieces and then three i think also to sort of justify um making paris and helen the sort of central characters because there is a sort of plot problem where once you get to troy helen is sort of left with nothing to do with but so they kind of invent something for her to do but then i don't remember quite how it ends but i feel like ultimately it doesn't matter because like the whole I'm not, I don't remember if the whole spy thing even really comes to, like, change anything in the end. Somebody hanged himself or hung himself. Panderous, yeah. yeah. He didn't hang himself. He was oh, yeah. Well, well you, it yeah. was made to mm-hmm. look like he hung himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just sadness. Sadness is what it comes to. <laughs> and I had another point I was going to make, but it just escaped me. Oh, the other point I was going to make is just even, like, because we, we were mentioning, and you got, I, I bet you all felt this, but that... The 2004 Troy movie was very of its time in a lot of ways. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just the way the, the way they kind of, like, the way they dealt with Patroclus, I think, is the most obvious. The way cousinly love became the most important thing in the world. Good guy versus bad guy. Trojans versus bad Greeks. Yeah. And then, and then but, so, but this show is kind of also, it's sort of of its time, and it's of its, like, context, because... It's a Netflix, so it's a Netflix show, and sort of the Netflix whole strategy for the last couple of years is basically like every successful show or genre, we're gonna do it ourselves. So like cooking shows, reality TV, rom coms, horror, whatever. Like Netflix is basically trying to like get its finger into every pie, so to speak. And I feel like this was Netflix being like, we need our own Game of Thrones, and because they're Netflix, the strategy is like, let's just throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. Because every now and then you get a, you know, because there's so many Netflix original. I don't know how many Adam Sandler movies their Netflix has produced. Not enough. Oh. <laughs> I think like six, but like I haven't seen any. But like every now and then you get like a Stranger Things or I'm trying to remember the last big. Have y'all Sagan? seen? Um, well, I just like recently on the topic of Netflix releasing new shows. Have y'all seen Shadow and Bone? Like that's way off topic. Yeah, okay. Okay. okay, it's so good. Okay, okay. We're gonna put it. We now we now interrupt this podcast to talk about Shadow and Bone. <laughs> Skip ahead to blah 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 to get back to Troy. But we do need to talk about this. We absolutely need to talk about this. I watched it all the first day it came out. Yes. I again have like I read those books when I was younger. It, this it's like my little heart on the screen. I love it so mm-hmm. much. It is amazing. I, I, Eli sent... Did, did you give me the book or Tracy the book first? 
I give you the book first. Okay, you see, Eli sent me the the uh, the Six of Crows, which is like not the original trilogy, but the, yes, like, no, but that's the best one. It is yeah. the best one. <laughs> and so me me and my my partner Tracy, we we both read it and we got like way into it, and so we were like excited. Tracy and I, we watched it uh, in like two days, basically, yep. and like completely. We watched like three or four episodes like the Friday, and then the next Saturday, I went over to her place, and then we just watched them all. Uh, but I I I. I really dug that show. Lucille, have you seen it yet? I have not. And I've heard of these books and I need to read them. But obviously, I know you guys probably know my list of books to read is a mile long and very sporadic. (laughs) I understand that completely. They are there for you when you get there. They're super fun. Very awesome. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Shadow and Bone series on Netflix. I think they did a really good job. I'm still thinking about the the scene where um where she crawls and she 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 climbs into the carriage and Jesper's just watching he <laughs> climb to the carriage oh, <laughs> like <laughs> like that because I think like I've said this multiple times like Jesper I think is my favorite character and I would love to hang out with him but if I had to work with him I would murder him <laughs> he drives me he, he just lives this chart he's kind of a f- up but he lives this like charmed life in a way that I find I don't know uh, what's the line from Knives Ivory's like makes no sense. But it compels me, though. It compels me, though. <laughs> the way that guy is successful based on happenstance, you have to be a very good writer to pull Dumb that off. Like, like, love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, were, what were we talking about? We were talking about uh, Patroclus and the kid. Patroclus? Netflix? The Game of Thronesification of, of we were shows? about all the Netflix genres? Yeah, but yeah, this is trying, I think this was trying to be Netflix's Game of Thrones and it just, it didn't, it never stuck. Well, was this originally a BBC? It's a collab, Collab, I think. okay, okay. Which is why it's all like British television actors. Yeah. Like the the, the guy who plays Aeneas, he's from, um, oh, he's from a, a pretty Harry popular Potter. show. Yeah, he was in Harry Potter. <laughs> Wait, he is? Who is he in? Oh my God. Dean. He's Dean <laughs> Thomas, isn't he? Did you just realize this? I just realized this. Oh, I would never. coming over your face. No, the minute you said it, I was like, like holy crap, she's right. I did not know because he's look. I mean, he's like ten years older now and has a beard. Yep. Um, yep. Oh, that's wild. What was I about to say? I was going to bring up. I don't really understand the gods' role in anything in the show. Yeah, they were they like just, barely um, there. Yeah. So yeah, actually, that is uh, one of the main questions I wanted to to talk to you guys about. Jordan, you look like you're, you're you had something on the tip of your tongue. Okay. Yeah. Wait. So what kind of like irritated me a little bit was whenever Paris was fighting with Menelaus. And they're having their duel. And then, you know, in the Iliad, Aphrodite like sweeps him up in a cloud of mist and deposits him in Helen's bed, right? Well, mm-hmm. in the in the show, she's just like, run. And he like throws sand in Menelaus' eyes and runs away. Like, <laughs> and everyone just watches him. You might as well have her do the whole thing. Like Yeah, there's a whole I, I that was one of the parts I went back to reread for myself to to remember how it goes down. Because it's like Menelaus, like they break their spears and their swords on each other's armor, I think. And then Menelaus like grabs his helmet and tries to like drag him back to the army. And then Aphrodite basically like lets the like chin strap go on his helmet and then he slips out and then she does the mist thing you were you were just describing. But yeah, it is it's I'm trying to formulate my thought. But my thought is this is sort of a product of the show simultaneously trying to do something kind of different, but also trying to be like the 2004 version, which went for that sort of gritty like euhemeristic approach we might call it but like just say like let's just take out the supernatural stuff make it all about the gods 
And so there's a lot of that kind of like I, I would I forgot periodically that the gods were in this show mm-hmm. because they kind of they're there and then they're not there and they're sort of very vague and it's unclear what if anything they're doing. Like you could almost edit them out. I feel like I feel like you easily could edit them out. Yeah, and like there's not even the like the only scene that's more or less similar to the uh, actual book is when at the beginning they're both both sides are ramping up for war and they're claiming warriors that they bless. That's mm-hmm. the only scene that's more or less like the Iliad, and the rest because there's no huge fighting scenes. There's no interaction between Apollo's, Ares, you know, all of them. Like it just is removed, and so they're not really necessary. And- Excellent. Yeah, it it, it it is like I feel like Aphrodite is the one we see the most of, and she is the most involved. But again, there's there it's a tricky line to follow because at one point, if you just have the gods sort of doing everything, it takes away the agency of the characters, and then they just become sort of tools and not people. But then to have the gods sort of it's like I think I said this last time, but it's either too much or too little, and I can't quite decide which I would rather have. So actually, let me kick it out. Would you want more gods or or, or less gods? I like the way they were using the Iliad. When they were involved, people were used completely as tools. But when they're not there, you are then left to your own devices. So, yes, bring in the gods and have them act that way. If you're going to bring them in at all, they need to be godly. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. I just saw them as, like, sideline sports commentators. <laughs> that's exactly they were, they were like, swinging yeah. off in the distance in a rock. Like, wow, that's happening. Interesting. <laughs> I stood there and I said, run, I'm basically Aphrodite. And that's all, all it takes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> They could have had a heckler on the side, like just say run and then the same thing. Exactly. Oh yeah. Speaking yeah, Thersites. He's he's the heckler par excellence. He's there. He makes an appearance. Who was he? Like I couldn't tell anybody who was who. Who was he? Uh he's one he's um the sort of bearded white guy, number six. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right after uh was it Brisace? Yeah, that was yeah, whenever she gets abducted by Agamemnon, there's someone that's like, all right, we should really just go home if we're not going to have Achilles. And he gets beat up. Oh. Yeah, uh, and, and Ajax is there, who also, I was like, oh, yeah, Ajax is in this show. L- preferred Ajax from the movie, though. Yeah, a big guy. Sweet man, <laughs> <laughs> I agree, yeah. I, I could go on a whole rant about how Ajax has always done dirty, but that's we'll, we'll come around to that. Uh, but yeah, Thersites shows he's got like um, he's sort of like the gray hair guy. He shows up a lot actually. Once I recognized him, I you see him. He's always he's pretty much always like a standard. Like he's one of the guys out searching for Paris. He's kind of always there whenever anyone's complaining. That's Thersites. So it's interesting that they included that character, but then they don't have the sort of iconic Thersites moment, or at least I don't think they 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 don't they haven't had it yet. The iconic Thersites moment where Odysseus basically is like shut the hell up and like just beats him up. Yeah, I have to say, I on this round, I didn't really notice him. I was like, oh, nope. I, yeah, nope, did not recognize. <laughs> we did a, a performance, like we had different projects. And so the three of us happened to be in the same group for Troilus and Cressida, in which Shakespeare really gives Thersites the, the stage and a, and a whole scene and just lays into Ajax, which is fantastic. I recommend giving it a watch. Um, but it's... It was great, and the show did not dine it fit to put in um, Thersites laying into all the main characters. Yeah, you got three big fans of Thersites with you right now. (laughs) Excellent. Some Thersites stands. I love it. (laughs) 
he, he could have been like the, the Statler and Waldorf of the show, whether it's like, that's ridiculous or like, like it's not, it's not half bad. It's all bad. Or like, I'm trying to think of other good Statler and Waldorf lines. He's just like this. He's like the audience surrogate. He could have we... been the gods. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. No, that's it. Go ahead. Oh, I was fixing to go like way off into left field. So if y'all still had like something to say. No, this, this cool. is, this whole, this whole field is, the, my, my baseball analogy is falling It's all left. Do, do <laughs> Okay, well, I was just going to say the one thing, though, that I did like um, that they put in the TV show that was also in the movie was um, Achilles coming right up to the walls of Troy and just yelling for Hector, just like, mm-hmm. Hector! And, like, every mm-hmm. time I watch the movie, my mom and I always crack up, even though we're not supposed to be laughing. Like, that's just the funniest part for whatever reason. So I like I like that they included that. That, that was a good good job from them. <laughs> His voice must have carried so much. <laughs> Also, they show the city, like, the, the castle is far in the distance, and I know everybody's already on the wall for whatever reason, because they're expecting it, but I think Hector should be very far away and not be able to hear him. Yeah, they are, they're, they're very sparing with, like, how much of Troy they actually show at any given time. I think probably for, yeah, yep. Mitchell's making the money hand gesture, <laughs> which I, yeah, I can, I agree with. Yeah, yeah. That's a... F- fair thing for a director to have to deal with. Can't really hold mm-hmm. it against them. It's, they should have gone like Monty Python where it's like Troy and it's like, it's only a model. They <laughs> <laughs> it from different sides. It's just like a clearly, it's just like clearly a cutout on a hill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That would make it so bad it's good. And then you yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't yeah. think of anything more polarizingly opposite than Monty Python's rambling jokes to... Troy fall the city's smoldering one-liners. <laughs> that would be so good, though. Like, Monty Python and the Holy Grail with Troy fall the city. Like, I think we should make this happen. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should just do, like, a farcical, like, you know, a comedy comedy version of, of Troy fall the city, where it's all just, like, the innate silliness of the whole enterprise. Let's talk, actually, while, while we're on the subject of... Hector, Hector, and Achilles. What, what did you think of of the duel and, and then Hector's death? Because we, we we mentioned it a couple of times, but but yeah, what, how did you feel about Hector's death scene? Because there's one thing that really jumped out about it to me, but I want to see what if if anyone else is of the same mindset. He didn't run. He never run. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was it three times around the walls, or however? What yeah, did he do? I want to see a little sprinting, a little effort. <laughs> <laughs> Would that make him like? seem cowardly though that's always been my thought is that- explained it in the book is that it's not even cowardly because if achilles reaches him he will die mm-hmm. then then and athena has to trick him into being like maybe you might win maybe yeah. <laughs> but it's just if like if we just have that visual of him running i i just <laughs> i wonder if like nobody could choreograph that into a way that felt and i don't know to be like Super fast, right? Yeah, yeah. There, there's all sorts of lines and about you know how like that they're the, the way they run and move and stuff is like way more like somebody picks up a stone that like ten people couldn't pick up today, things like that. And yeah, like they give measurements for like some of their equipment and like like Achilles' spear or something like that. It's like eleven cubits. I forget how big it's supposed to be, but it's like huge. There's a great story from I think it's in is it in Thucydides or Herodotus, Eli, where they go to find the bones of Orestes. It's Herodotus. So they, the, the Spartans need to find the remains of Orestes and they go and they, they go to like somewhere else and they dig up and they find like a thigh bone that's like 
this I'm making a hand it's like the size of a horse or something like that but they find like a giant thigh bone they're like this must have been Orestes because everyone he knows men back then were 10 feet tall or whatever it was <laughs> I forget where I was going with that story where were you going with that story oh that everyone was like stronger and faster in oh, the age of okay. heroes yeah, right, nobody right, right. picked up a boulder for no reason and that was just mm-hmm. kind of disheartening yeah. I don't recall in the in the TV show one Achilles going on his rant about uh, the burial rites and how Hector won't have them. Mm, yeah. That one really kind of demonized the mental state Achilles was in. So I really did enjoy, well, I don't enjoy reading, <laughs> but it adds a lot to the character. Mm-hmm. But I guess he's not allowed to speak more than one sentence at a time. Sorry. It just sparked a memory. Agamemnon in this series is like so he's much. A psycho. Yeah. But like this time it makes sense. Before there's just, we just kind of hate him just in mm-hmm. general. And in this one, we see his daughter. Die. I don't know if you guys actually watched the first videos or if you skipped the. No, we, we, we're, we're watching it all the way through. We're just doing it in sort of chunks. All right. So it is like when we watched it in clips, it felt a lot more heartless. But this time watching it all through, he was like really messed up by killing his daughter, which first mm-hmm. of all, that scene. Oof. But he's really messed up after it and you can see like every interaction is characterized by how psychologically messed up he is after having killed his daughter to be there Mm -hmm. he's a psycho yeah (gasps) yeah he's the one character that i think really kind of becomes the most villainous out of everyone um he seems to i think he just does the most unforgivable things and is kind of like at odds with everyone you can sort of see that you know, like Odysseus is trying to hold it all together. They have their kind of, like, sort of like the envoy to Achilles. I I had a thought, I was just thinking, sort of to, to pivot a, a little bit away, but the sort of, and it's about Achilles, but I'm wondering what you think about sort of the nature of his anger in this in this, this sequence, because it's so central to the Iliad and that the anger sort of moves from Agamemnon to, to Hector, but it's like of a different, but I feel like it should be of a different sort of caliber, where his anger at Agamemnon is this sort of bitter resentment that's kind of all it, it has been sort of a long time coming because even before the events of the Iliad, him and Agamemnon butt heads over like Iphigenia. And, but then it sort of seemed like Achilles was kind of in the show. He, his anger seems kind of constant and steady to me. I don't know if, if, if you, if you felt the same way, but it seemed like there should have been some kind of jump or maybe there was, and I'm just a bad viewer. He's just not as, they characterize him different. And I keep using that word, but he's just, younger or mm-hmm. he's younger in in my mental image of him and more reckless and in this one he's very like you said steady mm-hmm. and calm and logical and they barely introduce him right this one is not central to achilles it's central to paris which was an interesting choice but um so we barely see him and then he just kind of shows up attacks helen in a very uncharacteristic way in my opinion then leaves mm-hmm. The way they introduce him, the way he's built up, it's very odd, but he, after that scene and after all that, he's just kind of constant smolder. Like there's not, yeah. there's not much, <laughs> there's not much build up to him. And then he's just, yeah, kind he, of he, and everything. And I think the, 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 I think D- David Giassi or Giassi is, is the actor's name. And I think the reason they cast him because he has like an intensity to him. Like when he just stares at like sits and looks at you. You're kind of like, ooh, like, you know, he, he sort of, there's a, Paul F. Tompkins has a funny story about being on the set of There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis, where he says, 
he's like he's like you know some people have told me that daniel day lewis is pretty intense and uh he's actually the most intense person to have ever lived and i walked on set and he is just sitting on a in a chair and it was like a jungle cat walked on set and everyone was terrified i was terrified of him uh and i feel like that's kind of the achilles energy that you should just sort of be terrified of him um but the show kind of go about in a weird way like 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 you said lucille that he's he's introduced kind of almost suddenly and then the first things we see him do is that very odd scene with with Helen. And he has a little speech, I think, later to Odysseus where he's like, I think this is actually a, a pretty good speech where he talks about, like, I got to believe in what I'm fighting. Otherwise, I like can't lift my like You, Odysseus, you can do whatever. You have no scruples. You'll say what needs to be said. Fight whatever fight you need to fight. But for me, I got to like my heart's got to be in it, which I kind of liked that scene. But I, I, to, to your point, I, I did think that he was introduced in kind of a kind of a stuttering way. And so I my one of my like big takeaways from the show is that they're kind of there was like I think too much Paris and Helen and really should have been a slightly more ensemble cast. And the characters that we should really focus on are and I want to actually hear your thoughts if you but I think the characters that I would want to see focused are Helen, Odysseus, Achilles, and Hector, I think. Those would be my four. I don't know about I don't know. What do you guys think? Would you change would you change any of those out? You're on the right track, and I think you can follow as many characters as like your writers can handle, mm-hmm. as long as the goal should be balancing uh, the Greeks with the Trojans. So if you're going to show an Achilles, you need to show a Hector. Mm-hmm. If you're going to show a Priam, you need to show Agamemnon, and just have all of like the they're foils for one another. Yeah, have yeah, the mirror between them be equal. Yeah, uh, that's that's a, that's a really good point. Because that's a lot of what made the Iliad so compelling was to mm-hmm. really put them as equals. Yeah. Yeah, each character should have sort of a counterpoint character to be balanced against. Which, okay, the Iliad didn't quite balance that as much as I may be leading on to because the Greeks had uh, at least a handful of great soldiers you were following. And then on the Trojan side, you had Hector. Yeah. They really liked Hector. One You're of not Hector's here for Deophobus and Troilus. Was there for... <laughs> A paragraph and they died. Sorry, what is it? Jordan, did you have Jordan's about to be like, I want um, Thersites and uh, Sarpedon, <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to think of other obscure characters from. More of the horses, please. <laughs> yeah. I want those horses that talk to Achilles. Yep. Well, no, I was just going to say, I think that's why it made the story of the Iliad so compelling, is because you got to see both sides of the war, and you're like, maybe the Greeks didn't have such a good reason for fighting, but like, you you got to know the the characters and stuff. So you were sad to see them die. Like Mm -hmm. the more main characters, not the random guy, but like, you know. Yeah. And there is, I don't know if this was, I want to, here's another question for, but uh, so one of the things like, at least in my experience and Eli, you can, because you've also have taught Greek Civ and stuff. But when I was teaching mythology, like one of the things I kind of, I find a little challenging to teach the Iliad more so than the Odyssey or or other epics is that you have to do, I think, a lot of groundwork Mm. talking about the sort of cultural context that this happens in to really get the stakes, I think, where you have to understand that there's this sort of gift exchange economy where everyone's trying to acquire stuff and then acquiring stuff, both sort of like spoil, like treasure and also captives and animals and things like that. 
that that sort of translates into social and then political power and capital. And so the importance of when Agamemnon has to give Chryseis, that's not just him being a little prick, which is part of it, but like he's him giving up these gifts equates to a loss of sort of political power, which then threatens his position. And if he's, he loses his position, he is like physically in danger. I think a lot, there's one play about Iphigenia where they're, they're, they're talking and Agamemnon is saying like, if I can't get this army to march on Troy, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose the leadership and then they're going to turn on me and they're going to go, they're going to go back to Mycenae and sack my city. That there's this very sort of delicate balance that they're trying to play. And then the real struggle is Agamemnon being like, I, and there's kind of a, there's like a cultural clash between Agamemnon and Achilles where Agamemnon is like, I should rule because I am the center of all the goods are pouring into me and then they flow out from me. And Achilles is like, F you, I'm the one, I'm, I'm the one fighting and I'm the best warrior. And that's sort of, there's only, there's like their struggle is, act more that is greater than just the sort of two men sort of at odds with one another. It's sort of, um, sociocultural. Yeah. It's representative of like a greater sociocultural struggle. And then yeah. that's like, you know, me, the literary critic arguing <laughs> about this. Uh, but what did you guys, did you guys find that sort of at all? Or like just when you were reading the Iliad of like, just getting into like, this is a, cause it's a different world. It's not only written in a different world, it's written in it or composed orally in a different world, talking about an even older world. And the kind of the different, like, what's the word, like barriers or, or sort of the, the stages in between you and, and something like this story. That was a very convoluted question. I apologize for doing that to you. <laughs> I'll take a stab at it. So I read an article because, um, you know, it's a class, so they make us do work. And <laughs> it was about how, so like the trading gifts for, you know, political power and whatnot and relations is on par for what would happen in the Bronze Age. But mm-hmm. uh, Helen has a line in when she first meets Paris about how it's about political power and stuff and they want Troy for like the straits. And that's not accurate, according to my research to Kolb's article, if anyone wants to look it up. <laughs> um, but basically those straits were too dangerous or they were just not effective for trade and daily interactions. So Troy wasn't mm-hmm. a big commercial center and that doesn't really fit with the logic of the time period. So, but the gifts are important and it does make sense. But I also, in my opinion, lean towards Agamemnon just kind of being a prick and being that hurt that he lost his girl. So (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, I think in this time that I saw it, and I remember from our conversation with Adam, he sort of said that, oh, so much of this story is about like family ties, especially like parents and children. And I really saw that and it made me super uncomfortable because Agamemnon is like so upset about killing his daughter. And then he sort of like sees his daughter in Chryseis Mm, in a very weird way. And like that made that relationship like an already horrific relationship, like that much more sort of terrifying Um, and like her giving her back to her father and like him watching that was Mm -hmm. extremely awful. So yeah, I guess my, my bigger sort of question to you guys is like treatment of women uh, in the Iliad and in modern rendition. What do we think? I I think the miniseries gave them a, bit more power at least helen being a spy queen this this movie not movie the show to its credit passes the bechdel test yeah which is a low threshold i think for for tv shows and stuff in this day well, and especially age. like an ensemble yeah yeah the um i liked it because they were actually you know 
speaking and saying things that weren't just my husband it was like we've got you know actual thoughts about strategy and stuff and people are actually listening like the amazon yes i like that they added that yeah that was pretty cool because i didn't know right so i I had to look it up while i was watching it like were there amazons actually there and like sure enough Mm -hmm. i was like wow that's cool yeah yeah, they get Penthesilea. Yeah. And, yeah. And then there's, I think that inter- like to the, the theme of family, there's a lot of conversations with Andromache and Helen. I think they're kind of supposed to almost be foils for one another of because they've just had, you know, all their conversations are just sort of how they're sort of at odds, sort of in their whole worldviews and stances. Okay. And then, and, you know, Andromache, like the, the, the relationship to motherhood is, I think, like the, the big one. For sure. Um, where Helen has this daughter that she's estranged from and Andromache is trying so hard to have mm-hmm. a, have a child, and then you know, we're, we're, as, and as we find out, that is sort of um, tragically taken from her. Yeah. Did Andromache really name her son after an orphaned soldier that died? Oh, this! Like, I'm no. so glad you. I'm so glad you brought <laughs> you brought this up because this was one of my. This was a thing I forgot to mention, but I was to circle back around to the duel. One of my big, I think, my big central complaint with the the Hector duel is that his dying thoughts are of this random kid that he met. Yeah. And not like say his family, which would be more thematically in line with what we were talking about and like yes. why it was necessary. This is one of those things where the show invents stuff that it fe- I feel like it doesn't need to invent. And I had I went on a whole rant about Odysseus's two children in the first episode about <laughs> he only has one son. You don't need to invent a second kid. Um, and then in this show, this is this Astyanax character because his son is named Astyanax, which is ironic because in Greek that means like defender of the city. And yeah, they're, they're really big into ironic names in mythology. Achilles means grief of the people. Mm-hmm. There's a couple others I'm trying to remember. Some of them are, are hard to... Um, Alexandros also means like defender of men. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, that, 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 that there's this element that he names his baby after like a, a sort of enlisted soldier is the idea. Was, and then so he has his dying thoughts are of this Estyanax guy and not like his wife or his parents or his son or anything like that. That drove me a little. Yeah. And credit where credit is due, actually, Tracy made that observation, not me, uh, when we first watched it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That did seem weird. Like, if they're trying to sort of, like, bring this whole, like, theme of family actually, like, to fruition. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, like, somewhat on the, the same line as family, the one point where the gods do show up, they're watching, I think it's when Paris has just, like, run away from the battle, or the, the duel, and... It's Aphrodite and Zeus, and in the Iliad, it's char- their relationship is fatherly and like you know father daughterly. It's mm-hmm. she's like begging on his knees. She's like, "Look, they hurt me. Like, help me out. Like, I'm your your sweet little daughter." And in the movie, she's on top. Like, yeah. <laughs> like there's a weird like really element. And like, I yeah. get that she's like the goddess of like romance, suggestion, love, and all that stuff. But and I get that the gods are like really messed up for that anyway but i don't know having read the actual book it was just weird because she's mm-hmm. definitely like his daughter in my brain and then she was being very very weird yeah and it's also because there's like the like Hera is the one who sort of famously like sort of seduces zeus to, to distract him while the other gods can go down and start mucking around yeah that was that was a bit odd but at least you can ignore that and the plot is still intact mm-hmm. <laughs> true so you just skip that whole scene, you've missed nothing. Yeah, I think that's the other thing is because when the gods speak, they kind of don't say anything. Mm-hmm. It's all just Speaking platitudes and yeah, generalizations. Yes. Cryptic. In that scene, he vaguely recapped what the last episode was over. Oh, Paris just ruined his fate. 
okay thanks Zeus <laughs> yeah oh yeah and then the other the, this conceit that like Paris sort of dying a little bit breaks the prophecy yeah that was weird I was I, I didn't know what they were trying to do there like were they is she like playing a game because Zeus said he wasn't gonna do something and so she was like I'm gonna give everyone hope so I'm gonna say oh he dies so, like technically it's broken and then maybe things will turn out differently but then I realized that we watched the clips in class, so I know what's going to happen. It's still going to be the same ending. So what did that do? Like, what's mm-hmm. breaking the curse mean? Yeah, this. I think that the the maybe a general complaint is like this. This show is almost in some ways confined by the plot that it sort of needs to follow to some extent, and so you end up with these kinds of weird. Like Paris needs to lose the duel, so we, that leads to this whole spins off and this weird thing, or like. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but the idea is that it's kind of boxed in. And so the choices it makes sort of cut against like where we know it, where it's going to end up anyways. And it moves around. And like the whole, what, like when it invents the, um, the spy subplot thing is that kind of doesn't matter because it kind of, it, the spy being there, doesn't really change the effect or, or, or whatever happens. Yep. I think I know what you're yeah. trying to say. Like their destinations for the plot are the same, but they're taking weird routes to get there. That is what I'm trying to say. Thank you, Mitchell. <laughs> Maybe they just needed some filler for like a whole episode. Yeah, absolutely. And but I really did appreciate how they went way before the Iliad starts. Mm-hmm. I really did appreciate someone tackling Paris's backstory. Yeah. If next time we could get a little better execution, I would appreciate it. Yes. I agree. Yeah. Excellent. So we're at about we're just over an hour, but any like closing thoughts? Final things you, you you wanted to say didn't get that didn't get out yet. I'm just excited to rewatch Shadow and Bone. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the takeaway. Too. <laughs> yeah, the takeaway from this episode is actually just watch Shadow and Bone. Um, Accurate. <laughs> uh, fantastic, Lucia or Jordan. I'm I'm good. They did wait. Well, actually, okay. Yeah, I did notice something. I had to go back and rewatch it because whenever they had captured Briseis, I looked at the ropes they used and. I mean, I could be wrong, but didn't they use like hemp kind of looking ropes and stuff? And this mm-hmm. looked like yellowish paracord. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is like the you're saying this is like the Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones or something like that. Like, yeah. it's, they like just the grab prof- anything. It's dark. It'll work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like yellowy, and it's gonna be tied around her hands. It's fine. Yeah, or like, I don't think this is true, but suppose someone claims that in the chariot scene in Ben Hur, you can like see Charlton Heston's watch or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta go back. Now that I said, now that you said, I gotta go back and check. I know, There's I also a, a disappointing lack of ostriches in these these episodes. I know. Um, I did want to go on record, and Adam was calling it an emu last episode. I am ninety percent sure it's an ostrich. I know my large flightless birds, but <laughs> there was a German Shepherd. Yes. yes, I like the dog. A... I didn't know like why he was important, but I like oh the little boy. The little boy scared me the whole time because the second they introduced him, I was like, "Is this kid gonna die? He's gonna die. He knows the spy. He's gonna die." <laughs> I, he hasn't died yet though. Maybe I should just stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> and then Troy was fine, and everyone went home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how I think. That's how it ends, right? Yeah, except for yeah, Patroclus, but it's fine. Yeah, just like turning off the movie before before like Bambi's mom dies or something. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, awesome. thank you all so much. I had such an ama- I had an amazing time. I'm really this this 
was better than I possibly imagined. So I wanted so to delightful. thank you all for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having yeah. us. Thanks, guys. No, of course. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I was going to say, is is there anything um, any of you would like to, to plug or make it known if people want to, want, you want people to find either you or something you work with on, on the internet, anything like that? Go Longhorns. Okay. Yeah. I, I go to UT Austin. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. We already covered that one Netflix show we like. <laughs> yeah, we're doing we're doing Netflix's job for them. So and, and, and I guess Poco. Um, thank you guys all so much. Uh, and I'll well hopefully I'll we'll see you around and, and uh, cross paths again. Go easy on Adam for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys Bye. so much. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye.